You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Happy Feast of the Ass to all who celebrate. January 14th is the Feast of the Ass. I talked about it last year. I'm going to talk about it again this year. Gretchen may not be able to make fetch happen, but fuck you, Regina. I am going to make Feast of the Ass happen. Feast of the Ass. It was a medieval feast day. fell on January 14th. falls on January 14th this year. It was a Catholic holiday celebrating the Holy Family's flight into Egypt. King Herod, king of the Jews at the time, according to a story in the Gospel of Matthew, ordered that all male children under the age of two in Bethlehem be murdered. There was a prophecy that a child born in Bethlehem was going to be king of the Jews one day, and Herod didn't want to not be king of the Jews one day, so kill all the kids. But an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and warned him. So the holy family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, got the hell out of Bethlehem on a donkey. And no, to answer the obvious next question, Mary and Joseph did not warn any of the other new parents in Bethlehem about what Herod was planning to do, and all their babies were murdered. Because God works in mysterious ways, and God won't be taking any more questions at this time. Moving on, Catholics celebrated the Feast of the Ass for centuries, for hundreds of years. And like a lot of Catholic holidays, it was a repurposed pagan holiday, an appropriated pagan holiday, a Roman feast day originally called Cervellus, during which people dressed up like deer, paraded through the streets, and exchanged gifts to mark the new year. Cervellus hasn't been celebrated by Roman pagans for thousands of years, because there haven't been any Roman pagans for thousands of years. And Feast of the Ass actually hasn't been celebrated by Roman Catholics for more than four centuries, which means the Feast of the Ass, Festum Asinorum, is free for the taking. And even if it wasn't, if the Catholics could steal Cervellus from the pagans, we can steal Feast of the Ass, January 14th again, from the Catholics who aren't using it anymore, and we can make it about eating ass, actual ass, your lover's ass, not donkey meat, which is, I just Googled it, low in fat, low in cholesterol, lots of iron, tastes like beef. And while there are still lots of Catholics around who might object to us adding Feast of the Ass to the calendar alongside International Masturbation Day, May 28th, Steak and Blowjob Day, March 24th, National Coming Out Day, October 11th, National Sex Toy Day, November 4th. There is one less Catholic around to object to us stealing the Feast of the Ass from the Catholic calendar. Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, the first Catholic Pope to step down since 1415, so long ago that Catholics were still celebrating the Feast of the Ass, the last time a Pope did that, Pope Benedict XVI died on New Year's Eve. You may have heard. It made the news. We had two Popes for a while there. Now we're going to have to scrape by with just one. You're not supposed to speak ill of the dead. But is Pope Benedict dead? Or has Pope Benedict passed on to eternal life? He would prefer us to think the latter. So I'm going to give Pope Benedict the benefit of the doubt, grave doubts, and assume he's passed on to eternal life, which means he's not dead, which means I can speak ill of him. Fuck that guy. Benedict, 
Joseph, covered up for child rapists, made nice with Holocaust deniers and Nazi sympathizers, called Islam evil and inhuman before he became Pope after John Paul II passed on to eternal life, so also not dead, fuck him too. Benedict, before he became Pope, was a German archbishop, a prince of the church, who lied to authorities investigating how the church had handled cases of child rape by priests. Benedict, covered up for the church, protected child rapists, and then turned around as Pope and blamed priests raping kids on the pill, on women's lib, on the sexual revolution, on the gay rights movement. Benedict didn't do anything to stop priests raping kids. He didn't give a shit about priests raping kids until he was Pope and he had to pretend to give a shit. But one man, a consenting adult having sex with another man, also a consenting adult, a lifelong obsession of Pope Benedict's. Priest raping kids, not going to do anything about that. One guy giving another guy a blowjob, Pope Benedict would burst through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. We were always told that Benedict was smart. He was the brains behind John Paul II's church. It was right there at the top of his obit in the New York Times. Benedict was a quiet scholar of diamond heart intellect who spent much of his life enforcing church doctrine and defending tradition. And yet, and yet, Benedict somehow managed to say the dumbest fucking thing a person can possibly say about gay marriage, which he was trying to stop at the time, because of course he was. Now, a lot of dumb things were said about gay marriage, like a lot of religious conservatives ran around arguing that gay people shouldn't be allowed to marry because marriage is about children, monogamy, and religion. Meanwhile, straight people were free to marry without having children, without being monogamous, and without having to be married in a church. Unsurprisingly, you can't get married because marriage is defined by three things we don't have to do ourselves wasn't a winning argument. But what Benedict said, and in fairness to Benedict, not the first person to say it, not the last person to say it, but the smartest person who said it might have been Joseph Ratzinger, also known as Pope Benedict XVI. And what he said was, gay marriage was, quoting here, a threat to humanity itself. Because if we allow gay people to marry, everyone will get gay married. And then the human race will go extinct. Because once we're all gay married, we're all going to somehow forget which hole babies come from. In a world where we can get same-day delivery of literally a case of turkey basters from Amazon Prime, I just checked, we will forget how to, I guess, Google human reproduction on the very same internet where we can get all those turkey basters? Benedict was, like a lot of people during the marriage equality debate, telling on himself. Everyone who argues that gay people have to be persecuted and discriminated against or everyone will turn gay is telling us, well, first, that they're assholes who think gay people should be persecuted, and second, that they're deeply closeted, deeply conflicted asshole closet cases. Men who really, really want to join us in celebrating the feast of the ass but can't let themselves join us in celebrating the feast of the ass and don't think it's fair that anyone else gets to celebrate the feast of the ass. A closet case, Benedict, buried, I shit you not, in a pair of ruby red slippers. Speaking of the New York Times, props to the photo editor who selected the picture of Benedict at the top of his obit. His hands are outstretched, his palms are facing down, the photo was taken from just below him, and light is coming down from above, which passes through his thin and bony hands, which look red. Makes him look like 
he had blood on his hands, which he did and still does, if indeed he passed on to eternal life. All right, coming right up on today's show on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the Magnum Lovecast, Dr. Barack returns. We talk about IUDs, whether athlete's foot can be passed from foot to vagina and back again, and why doctors going through their medical residencies are too tired to fuck. And in this week's Savage Love, who gives better sex advice, me or an artificial intelligence chatbot? You want to go read this week's Savage Love to find out. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan and crew, 30-year-old cis woman with a crisis of sexual orientation, really hoping someone can shed some light on this for me because I feel like I don't know myself. I had always thought of myself as bi, possibly heteroromantic, recently proven wrong about that. That's all well and good. But I have had this voice in my head for the last several months, particularly when I'm having sex with my current partner, that's just persistently telling me, you're a lesbian, you're a lesbian. And I have been thinking about some things from my past that maybe indicate that as well. Like I've always been really penis averse and I really hate cum. And like, I always thought that that was just something weird about me, but I've also always been like strangely embarrassed to introduce my boyfriends to other people, like as my boyfriend. And again, I thought, well, maybe I'm just a really private person, but recently I've really been thinking maybe I'm a lesbian and it's kind of freaking me out because at 30 years old, I really thought I knew myself pretty well in this regard. And I swear, I really thought I was in love with my last boyfriend. So maybe all this is, is I'm just, I'm dating a trans femme genderqueer individual. And maybe I'm just for the first time really getting in touch with the part of me that loves women. And maybe I'm just overly zealous about that, but it really feels like my body and my mind are trying to tell me that I am just a lesbian and it's really weird feeling like I don't know myself. So some help would be lovely. You may be a lesbian. A lot of women who are lesbians seem to come out later in life, later in life than the average gay man. Of course, these are averages. There's plenty of women who came out as lesbians at 14, plenty of gay guys who came out as gay at 14. But that later in life coming out thing is more common among women than it is among dudes or plenty of guys who come out in their thirties and forties as gay. They usually knew themselves to be gay most of their lives and just figured they couldn't come out. And so they wound up in heterosexual relationships or they were alone and they reached a point where that was untenable and they had to begin to not tell themselves the truth, but tell others a truth that they had long known about themselves. I have known a lot of women over the course of my long life who came out as lesbians in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s, often after being in long-term opposite-sex relationships, marriages, some having children. And what is it? What is it? Well, maybe 
sexuality is fluid, like some people say. Maybe that fluidity is, you know, sexuality seems to be more of a solid for men, uh, more of a fluid for women. Maybe that's, you know, if you measure female sexuality against a male standard, some people find that that fluidity uh, when you talk about it, that you're somehow finding fault. Well, I don't think male sexuality is the standard by which female sexuality should be judged. And maybe that fluidity, long observed, is a superpower and not a fault or a flaw. Whatever it is, you would not be the only woman with a long history of opposite sex relationships and a discomfort with penis and cum and other sort of Things that now you look back over your life and go, ah, that was a sign that I somehow missed. And again, maybe it's fluidity. Maybe it's the way women are socialized to defer to men, to prioritize men, that sometimes it can take years and years and years for a woman to discover what her own desires are. I think it's related that women often come into their kinks later in life, whereas boys who are kinky are jacking off about their kinks at 15 – Women who are into S&M or into exploring some particular kink often don't even come to a realization that that particular thing turns them on until they're 30 or 40, which is why I'm rolling my eyes. You can't see that. This is a not a visual medium. I am rolling my eyes right now, which is why Fifty Shades of Grey was a phenomenon not among 20-year-old women but among 50-year-old women, right? I think those things may be related and it's about women eventually – digging out from underneath everything family, church, culture, society heaped up on them about what they're allowed to desire or supposed to desire. And if you were going through the motions in relationships with men who had penises that you weren't that into, whose cum you thought was icky, who you were embarrassed to introduce with people, yeah, maybe that whole time you were a lesbian all along and you couldn't see it because you'd been blinded to it by a society that didn't want you to see it that didn't want you, not particularly as a lesbian, but as a woman, to feel like you had agency, to feel like not you had a choice, because I don't think sexuality is a choice, but you had a right to express your authentic sexuality. And sometimes to get to your authentic sexuality, it's easy. You know, I say to 15-year-old boys, no, I don't talk to 15-year-old boys about when they're jacking off, but I have said to young men who have said to me, I'm not sure if I'm gay, what do you jack off about? And they always get a look on their face because they know what they jack off about and they know what it means. You can't say that same thing to young women with the same effect because so many young women don't masturbate. And so, yeah, it can take a woman longer to realize what it is that she wants and also who it is that she is. And if that's what's happening for you, you have a lot of company out there in lesbian land. And finally, you say you're dating right now a trans femme gender queer individual. I'm assuming a trans femme individual is someone who's assigned male at birth and that's what they're trans femming away from, which means you're still in penis territory potentially. If you really want to put what you think may be true about your sexuality to the acid test that you are a lesbian who's not into dick, who finds penis kind of gross and finds semen icky, you might want to get out there and eat a pussy and see how that goes. Hi, Savage Love Live. I have lived a life of being very sexually open, kinky, adventurous. But within the past 10 years, I met someone and fell in love and he has a lot of anxiety 
and Catholic shame and guilt around sex. So for a long time, we haven't had any foreplay, no real erotic touching or connecting. I would get myself aroused for sex, but now that we're in therapy, we're both working on it and he's ready to start giving me pleasure. The problem is, is that I have a block now because there's this negative feeling around how badly it made him feel when I would give him directions about how to touch me and what to do. And so I don't know what feels good anymore. So I'm wondering if you have any advice about what I can do to both figure out for myself what might feel good and how to instruct him in a way that's gentle and respects the work that work that he's doing on his anxiety around sex. I'm going to assume that when you say you met this guy within the last 10 years, it doesn't mean a week ago, which was within the last 10 years, that it means about 10 years ago you met this guy and you've been putting up with his bullshit for a decade. You've been putting up with a guy who doesn't think foreplay is a part of sex, an important part of sex, doesn't think arousing his partner is his job as a partner, expected you just to let him push his dick into you without any buildup, without a chance for you to become aroused and wet. Uh, I feel for him. I was raised Catholic. I was raised in a very religious home. There was a certain amount, a lot of residual sort of pre-Vatican II-ish amount of sexual shame that sloshed around in my house. I got myself into good enough working order before I started having relationships with other people that you have spent a decade with this guy and only now is he getting the help that he needs to be the partner that you deserved all along? I don't know whether to show up at your front door and pin a medal to you or show up at your front door and grab you by the shoulders and try to shake some sense into you. You spent too long with this guy, putting up with this guy. And now you've carved this deep groove into yourself where you don't feel safe telling him what it is that works for you. You say that when you guys are going to have sex, when he wants to have the PIV, I guess, you go off and prepare yourself. You go off and masturbate. You go off and arouse yourself on your own. You know what arouses you, what you are afraid of. This group that I'm talking about is how to communicate that to him without him having some kind of infantile manipulative meltdown. You have to be able to communicate to him about your needs directly without him making it about his precious fucking feelings that have warped and dominated your entire relationship. He's never been in good working order. He didn't take responsibility to get himself in good working order before he got into a relationship with you. And even now he is shifting the burden of getting him into good working order onto your shoulders. It's all about you finding the perfect way to say to him that doesn't set him off what it is that you need and you're afraid and I don't think you can succeed here. I think whatever you say is going to be the wrong thing because then it gets him off the hook and it makes you the villain in the piece. So two things you can do. You can break the fuck up with this guy. You can get in a time machine and break the fuck up with this guy 10 years ago. Unfortunately, there are no time machines. So option one is just break up with this fucking guy now. 
And option two is just disinhibit. Be really clear, really direct. Without being cruel, there's nothing cruel about being direct and clear. And if he feels like when he hears what you say that you need to be aroused, that you are finding fault with what you weren't getting from him over the last 10 years, and that makes him self-conscious, good. He should plow the energy of his self-consciousness into the work that he needs to do, into the conversations he needs to have with his fucking therapist. Ideally, after he gets into a time machine and jumps back 12 years and does this all before he meets you. Looking for the perfect gift for Valentine's Day? Give all the feels with Foria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. Now, this is a little personal, but Terry and I tried the suppository and leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com slash savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their awaken arousal oil and sex oil. You'll thank me later. Hi, Dan. I'm a 55-year-old cisgender woman living in the Northeast, and my boyfriend of six months is a 52-year-old cross-dressing man. This is the first time I've dated a cross-dresser and the first time he's dated a woman who's known he has a cross-dressing habit. We met on a fetish website. We initially were going to just be friends, we thought, until we met and we liked each other and we started dating. I've now fallen in love with him. I think he's in love with me too. Things have progressed. I've even met his family. We dress up together. I have a keto's closet. We have great fun. We even wear the same size. We're compatible in so many ways. And I'm just crazy about him. It all sounds great, doesn't it? We have a problem, though. And the problem is, one, I honestly don't know that he's attracted to me sexually. Two, he has erectile dysfunction. Now, that wouldn't be a problem, except that he hasn't done anything about it, and I'm wondering why not. I'm willing to go to the doctor with him, and he hasn't made that a priority, and he hasn't made an appointment. Two, we've only had sex about six times in six months, and by sex I mean pleasuring. And when we've had sex, it just seems to be perfunctory and very service-oriented. It's been manual. I don't feel that he desires me much. He doesn't initiate with me. I have to initiate. I'm wondering if I'm supposed to be more dominating with him, but he denies that. I, he denies being a sissy. So I don't really know what role I'm supposed to play here. It's very confusing for me. He says he only dates women. He says he's straight. 
The other thing is when we're in bed together, he doesn't really touch me at all. I mean, when we're sleeping together, he'll hug and kiss me and hold my hand. And that's about it. I recently discovered that he is on a webcam site performing. So I am assuming he is an exhibitionist and he's been doing this for years. I don't know if he's making money off this. Again, we're fetish friendly, so I guess it's okay, but I don't know how to bring this up. And I don't know that I should because I'd be invading his privacy. This is all very awkward for me. And I'm also fucking confused because I need a guy that desires me and wants to have sex with me. And I need to feel desired and I need to have sex more than once a month. And how can I be in love with someone who doesn't want to have sex with me? So please help me figure this out. And please don't tell me to dump the motherfucker because I am crazy in love with him. And I think he's in love with me too. I feel like I have to kick the puppy. This guy can't meet your needs after six months. If there's anything you know about this guy is that he is incapable of meeting your perfectly reasonable need for sex, for sexual affection to be made to feel desired I don't doubt that you love this guy. I don't doubt that he loves you. You say you're the first woman that he's ever been with. He's 52 years old that he cross-dresses with, that he's out to about the cross-dressing. He's probably so thrilled and excited to be with you for that reason and for other reasons, but he doesn't sound like a particularly sexual person. And all the questions that you ask aren't questions I can answer. I don't know if he's gay. I don't know if he has a low libido. I don't know if he suffered from erectile dysfunction without seeking treatment for so long that any attempt to initiate sexual contact on the part of his partner just makes him feel insecure. And that if he responds positively to your attempt to initiate, he just is so anxious about failing that now he heads it off at the pass as often as he can. He avoids sexual intimacy to avoid feeling like a failure. Could be that. For a lot of guys with untreated ED, it is exactly that. They would rather not have sex or avoid sex, even if it means breaking the heart of their partner, than go to a doctor or get online and get ED meds. And you've only known him for six months. Maybe he's tried ED meds and they didn't work. But it's only been six months, and so you've already made a very large emotional investment in this dude from the sounds of things, in this guy from the sounds of things. I think it would be foolish for you to expect things to change if you suddenly had the magic words. And the only leverage you have is leaving. The only way he'll understand that you not feeling desired because he doesn't desire you potentially, or you not feeling desired because he's so worried about not being able to get hard that he doesn't want you to know he desires you. The only way for him to know that those are deal breakers for you is for you to break the fucking deal already as much as it might break your heart. But breaking up with somebody who's wrong for you, who makes you feel the way that you feel in this relationship, it breaks your heart all at once. And then you can, heal. Staying with someone who makes you feel this way breaks your fucking heart every fucking day. And the more intertwined your lives become, the harder it's going to be for you to extricate yourself from this relationship. So 
I think you should break up with him now. Maybe you dumping him, maybe him losing the only woman he's ever been with that he could be honest about who he is, about the cross-dressing, will be the wake-up call he needs to get the help he needs to be the partner you need. Or if it doesn't, if it isn't, if it's not something he can fix or change or isn't motivated to fix or change, then you're well rid of him. Then you can go find someone who wants you the way you want to be wanted, need to be wanted, and right now don't feel wanted. Hi, Dan. I'm Polly. I've been living with my partner, M for 10 years, and I'm having some trouble with my newer partner, C, who I've been seeing for nearly three. We're all new to Polly, and C is struggling a lot with anxiety over my not being committed to her because we don't have the usual script to go off of. We can't get married, we don't want kids, and she lives in an awkward area that makes sharing my time between apartments tricky. For my part, I've been trying to do as many things as I can to show my commitment. I've introduced her to M, which has gone really well, and we have this kind of semi-table kitchen poly thing going on. I introduced the car for my family, told my friends about her, and swapped keys for our apartments. This works for her except for around five to seven days a month when her hormones give her these mood swings where she's this anxious, mean person that just wants to make me feel bad for not being able to reach those goals with her. I've told her that 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 behavior isn't okay, that I know it's not her fault, but that I'm not looking to be an emotional punching bag every month. And she knows she needs to work on it. And she's brought it up with a therapist who says that she needs to feel her feelings and listen to what her body wants. So she's been doing that. The problem is her body wants to start a fight with people as an anxiety response. So that's not really okay. My question is twofold for you and chat. Do you have any suggestions of alternate expressions of commitment for Polly or non-monogamous people? And how can we navigate her turning into a werewolf for a week? I really like her. I want to be with her because she's a great communicator and a a caring, charming person 99% of the time. I recently ran across what isn't a new slang term, but an old slang term used by polyamorous people. I'm quoting from a column by Mistress Matisse, frequent guest here on Savage Lovecast. Cowboy or cowgirl refers to a monogamous person who meets someone who openly identifies as polyamorous, becomes romantically involved with them, and then attempts to cut them out of the herd, meaning persuade them to sever existing relationships and embrace monogamy. The term cowboy or cowgirl in this context is not a compliment. Sounds to me like you've got a cowgirl on your hand. They've agreed to be poly if that's what they needed to agree to, to be with you, and they are making themselves so unpleasant and impossible 25% of the time, one week a month, that it's going to up the opportunity cost of being with them. And what they hope, what the cowgirl hopes, is that faced with a choice between their rage and your existing primary relationship, you're going to opt to end your existing primary relationship and be with them only and exclusively. And I'm here to tell you that if you do that, that rage is going to find something else to attach itself to. Your other partner may not be in good enough working order to be in a polyamorous or monogamous relationship or even an open relationship. If once a month, they turn into a werewolf for a fucking week and light into people about what the relationship that they agreed to get into the parameters of that relationship that they consented to after being fully informed. Yeah, no, this is disqualifying behavior. And if indeed this person is a cowgirl, it's going to get worse over time. 
it's going to go from one week to eight days a month to nine days a month to 10 days a month to one week of peace a month and three, four weeks of hell a month. I hope I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I'm often wrong. Maybe that won't happen if you stay in this relationship. But I don't think you should stick around in this relationship long enough to find out that I was wrong. Mattresses. When you think about how much time you spend on your mattress every night, and then you think about how long you stick with one mattress, you should get the best mattress you can. And that mattress, without question, is a Helix Sleep mattress. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. There are 14 unique mattresses in the Helix lineup, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made for kids. Everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. They have models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side like I do, models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support for you stomach and back sleepers out there. Plus, they have enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night, which is really important for sleepers like me who are married to sleepers who heat up like furnaces at night like Terry does. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top, the perfect combo of comfort and support. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz and was matched with a Midnight Luxe mattress because I wanted something that had medium firmness. And Terry and I, we both tend to move around a lot at night. We don't want to wake each other up each time one of us starts moving around. The medium firmness mattress ensured that we can move around at night individually without waking everybody up. I don't even want to remember our old mattress. Good riddance to that thing. Not only is our Helix mattress the best I've ever slept on, and not just slept on, but the setup was fast and easy. Helix mattresses are delivered in a box straight to your door for free. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made and come with a 10- or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And you get to try it out for 100 nights risk free. If you don't love it, I know you're going to love it, but if you don't love it, they will pick it up for you and give you a full refund. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage. Let them know the love cast sent you. Helixsleep.com slash savage. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, Dan and everyone at the team. I am a bisexual 34-year-old woman who just moved from the East Coast to the Pacific Northwest. I've been abstinent for quite a while, and I actually have not been active in the PNW area. And people seem very different out here, and everyone is quote-unquote ethically non-monogamous. I have a very good center of filtering out people, but I've been struggling out here on the West Coast with that because I can't always check out their intentions. However, I have been craving a gangbang. I don't know anyone out here. (laughs) I don't have any friends out here that are into the lifestyle as I am. Dan, what's your suggestion of filtering up people in the West Coast? And what's the best way to get a very 
loving, worshiping kind of gangbang because I don't want to be a hoe. I want to be worshipped. There's lots of different ways to get gangbanged. One way is to be, you know, the slut and the cum dump who is being used and degraded. And that doesn't have to be a woman. I know dudes who fantasize about that. I know dudes who've made that fantasy come true. There's also the kind of sacred whore or goddess style gangbang where everybody there who gets to fuck you is worshiping you and you are the center of attention and all the uh, cum being uploaded into you instead of being dumped into you, I guess, trying to (laughs) flip that is not quite a sacrifice, but an honor. Not you're honored to get that cum, but you're being honored by the person who is giving you that cum that you want. Anyway, how do you make this happen for yourself? Well, you have to carefully vet people. Um, You have to, you know, how do you filter people? Well, you just have to do the work. You have to say, this is the kind of gangbang I want. These are the kinds of guys I'm looking for. This is the way I would like to be treated. You might, if you go with people you don't know well, uh, wind up in the room with somebody who said, oh yeah, yeah, I'll have that kind of gangbang totally up for that, who lied because they just wanted to get to that gangbang and you get a creepy vibe from them or they mid-gangbang or mid-fucking you and it's their turn, start treating you in a degrading way that would might work for somebody else who wanted to be you know, the guest of honor at the gangbang but isn't what you wanted. There's no way to make absolutely certain that there won't be a guy like that uh, at your gangbang who lied his way into the room. Even if you carefully vet people, that could still happen. So you got to be prepared to toss that guy and you got to have people in the room who are empowered to toss that guy on your behalf. You know, I know a few people, uh, men and women, who set up successful gangbangs for themselves um, or had them set up for themselves, I should say. Because the people I know who've really had a successful gangbang or two had partners, regular partners that they shared this fantasy with who then helped them. In one case, did all the legwork for them, found all the other people and, you know, read them the appropriate riot act for the kind of gangbang this was going to be with condoms, without condoms, what kind of safety, what kind of testing was required in advance and, you know, what kind of dirty talk was allowed or not allowed and the vibe that they wanted to achieve and really drilled that home before the star of the gangbang got drilled all the way home and back. There's no way to skip that work. You know, there are people out there who've gotten onto hookup apps or Craigslist back in the day and just said, I'm going to be in this hotel room at this time, taking loads, getting gangbanged, all comers, welcome. To me, that seems dangerous and not appealing. And you're highly likely, if that's the kind of gangbang you host, if that's the shingle you hang out, to wind up having perhaps a suboptimal experience. If you really want it to be just the way you want it, you want to feel you're up on a pedestal made of dicks, you're going to have to do the legwork. You're going to have to do the advance work. You're going to have to do the vetting. And you'll have more fun doing that. And I think you'll have better luck doing that with some co-conspirators, with a couple of people who are helping you set this up and whose judgment that you can rely on. You know, if you're talking to somebody and you, you feel okay about them, it may be somebody else who 
sees that red flag, who picks up on insincerity or just, you know, a bad vibe from a person that you didn't pick up on it. And you want to trust those people's judgment. So welcome to Pacific Northwest. Gangbangs do happen here. Get out there, find your people, find a couple of people who want to set this up with and for you and start vetting. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some emails, some DMs, some messages left at savage.love. Devin emailed me directly to say, I'm a fan and think 99% of the time your advice is right on. So Dan, I was surprised to hear how wrong you were about straight men on Grindr looking for FTMs. I'm a trans man and I've had multiple instances where a guy came over who just kept talking about my pussy. Note, I don't have a pussy anymore after bottom surgery. My advice for your trans caller is to do what I finally did. I put this note right on my grinder profile. If you are looking for pussy, I am not your guy. Since then, I haven't had any straight guys hit me up. Ted the Bellhop left a comment on last week's Savage Lovecast at savage.love. Dan and Jason Roeder, author of Grief Strike, did a great job this week, but I think they missed the big picture on the friend of the suicide victim. If the caller tells the persistent widow of his late friend the truth that her late husband was at least bisexual, she will persist and demand details on how exactly the friend knows that. And finally, Shiggy had some thoughts about the caller who's boyfriend refused to use deodorant. Shiggy DM me directly on Instagram to say, I don't mind undeodorized pit as long as the person showers daily. Old BO is nasty. Fresh clean BO, kinda hot. I kinda agree with Shiggy. All right, if you want me to read your thoughts on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to send me an email leave a DM at Instagram about the show or leave a comment on the show or on the column at savage.love. All right, now on to listener response calls. Hey, Dan. In response to the woman who found her ex-boyfriend's journal with the writings about the young girls that were his, his other exes, I'm going to push back on the idea that someone's transgressive fantasy life doesn't impact other people unless they tell them because the sexual abuse I experienced as a young girl was not at all being touched, right? It was all energetic. It was felt. It was the way that my my father looked at me. It was the way he talked about me and about my body and about sex in front of me. You don't have to touch a child for it to be incestuous and for it to be abuse and sexual abuse and incredibly damaging. It took me way more years than it should have to figure it out because there was no touching. I had to read that article that somebody wrote about Trump and Ivanka's relationship and we used the word covert incest. And so just want to put that out there that like, it, you know, yeah, it's fine to have your transgressive fantasies, but like it, you, you can't be in, in space with a child that you're attracted to and not impact that child, even if you don't touch them. If you're just thinking about it in their space, they will feel it and it will impact them. Here's another consideration for the dead best friend's widow. She keeps asking about this. There's some intrusive thoughts happening for her. And I would start with addressing that and asking her what's on her mind about this. Is it simply that the toxic friend's theories have infected her brain? What is she worried about? And you can address that because what if it's simply with the, the red state 
conservatism being in the forefront? What if she's just afraid that he never really loved her? But he probably did, even if he did have complex feelings about queerness or whatever. So you can address that and simply say, yeah, he probably wasn't entirely straight, but that doesn't mean he didn't love you. I would absolutely not talk about the drunken night. And I think that there's some space to offer comfort without necessarily going to full disclosure mode. Hey, Dan, this is in response to the two women who are dating men that don't want to wear deodorant. I have also dated a man who didn't like to wear deodorant and he was a farmer, so he was outside a lot, Um, but he didn't stink because he regularly scrubbed his armpits with rubbing alcohol. Uh, We do know that body odor is caused by bacteria that's on the skin. And by rubbing alcohol uh, under his pits every day, that reduced the growth of bacteria. So his smell was not a problem. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something they said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or comment email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also record and upload your question easily, simply, and directly at savage.love. And finally, old school, you can call us at 206-302-2064 and leave a message. Randy Alexander Day, coming right up January 31st. Don't be dainty about it. Drink your Brandy Alexander, cognac, creme de cacao, and cream, or better yet, ice cream out of your brand new fuck first mug, which you can order for yourself at savage.love, where you can also become a Magnum sub. Magnum subs, get the Magnum Savage Lovecast, more calls, more guests, ads, the Maxi Savage Love column, more questions, more answers, the Sex and Politics podcast, the Reader Roundup, invites to Savage Love Live, and more. Get your mug and give in. Finally become my sub right now at savage.love. Follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage and on post news at fake Dan Savage. Dr. Barack, in addition to being a frequent guest here on the Savage Lovecast, is a professor of medicine at the University of Washington, where he has developed a living will for dementia, which anyone can download for free at dementia-directive.org. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. I'll be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.